Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone. My name is Rebecca Kelly, and you're listening to the Everywhere We Go podcast. On this week's episode, I sit down with Elaine Healy. Elaine is one of the most tenacious mothers I have ever had the privilege to chat with. I came across her Instagram account a few months ago and instantly fell in love with her two beautiful children. Elaine is an autism mom of two. We talk candidly about the hurdles, the heartbreak, the blame, guilt and the judgment that comes with each diagnosis. I hear about the invaluable support of her family, her indestructible marriage to her rock Brian. Elaine is very open and honest as we chat through the day-to-day life of an autism mom. We talk about why she started her blog, A Life Upside Down, and how she doesn't want any other mammy out there with a new diagnosis feeling so alone. We talk about Brian's recent diagnosis and how him coming out is helping others. We chat through her fears and her hopes for the future. The importance of support and the family service dog, Milo. Elaine is fierce, genuine, devoted and inspirational. There is no sugarcoating with Elaine. What you see is what you get. And those babies' happiness and safety comes first in her house. Everywhere we go, people want to know who we are and where we come from. So who are you and where do you come from? My name is Elaine Healy and I come from Mallow and Cork. Elaine, thank you so much for coming on with me today. You're so good. For having me. And Elaine, you're a mommy of two beautiful children who are autistic, have autism, on the spectrum, can we first of all just talk about the type of language I should use? Because I don't want to unintentionally upset you or hurt you or offend any other parent out there. Um, so maybe we'll start yeah. off with that. Yeah, so Kirsty and Logan were both diagnosed with, with autism. So you might hear it called ASD, which is Autism Spectrum Disorder. Most people just say autism for short. A lot of people say the kids are autistic or the kids have autism preference for some people I genuinely don't mind either way and um, there's no kind of there's none of those terms that actually upset me so have autism or is autistic either one actually doesn't bother me I usually just say have autism because it just it's just habit for me at this stage and do you think other people that feel the same way about it as you I know a few people that have certain ways that they prefer like I know some people don't like the term special needs other people prefer additional needs some people don't like the term is autistic because they think that that kind of personifies the child as a whole, as opposed to they have autism, like it's just part of them, it's not the whole of them. Uh, so yeah, people definitely have a preference, but I think most, most autism, no, most autism parents know that people aren't being disrespectful if they use a term, it's just whatever they're comfortable with. And I know people aren't afraid to kind of say, look, I prefer has autism or is autistic. That's just the way I prefer, but 
I think people know that the others don't mean any harm by it. So it doesn't really cause that much bone of contention as far as I'm concerned. Well, at least that's good to know because I think that if people get comfort from what we're about to talk about, maybe if there's friends out there that um, have have friends who have autistic children or children who have autism and maybe they've stepped away from it because they don't actually know how to use the language. Every time they see the friend, probably give them a swerve or something like that, you know what I mean? So um, fingers crossed, just mm. with the way we're talking, it might help some other people out there. I definitely would say to people, if, you're, if you have a friend whose child is on the spectrum and you're not sure of the language, I, I mean, there's no harm in just saying, look, what do you actually prefer? Do you prefer if I say she has autism or she is autistic? Most of the time, the parents will have no bother answering that question anyway. Tell me this, Elaine. Um, if we start to start with your pregnancies, your pregnancy on Kirsty, first of all, normal pregnancy, everything going fine? Yeah, I got pregnant on Kirsty, no bother. I think we were only trained, we were only trained for about two months. It happened quite quickly. Um, normal pregnancy, you now I was very, very sick on both of them. Um, for a good few months, I think it was 26 weeks on Kirsty and 28 weeks on Logan. I was throwing up constantly. But after that, it settled down and I had no complications at all. It was normal delivery. They were both full term, fine, healthy, weight babies, no problems at all. Um, I, overall, I'd say my pregnancies were both very normal. Where did you start to see symptoms? Is symptoms the word? Yeah, you can say trace or symptoms. It's whatever what people are comfortable with. Um, I suppose in retrospect, Kirsty had trace of autism from Oh, I'm going to say four months old like we have videos of her where she'd flap she'd rock she'd skim with her hands and they'd be all very classic traits of autism now I didn't know at the time that that was autism because she was my first baby and we had no history of autism in the family so to me she was just a very kind of Jimmy flappy happy child I mean she always had a smile on her face I suppose my mum was the one that would have flagged it with me because Kirsty had very, very poor eye contact with anyone other than me and Brian. And that's another very classic trait of autism. I mean, she'd look at me or her dad in the eyes, but she wouldn't look at anyone else because like my mom would be trying to play with her. And she'd be kind of looking beyond you. And she had an obsession with the same TV program. Like it was Mickey Mouse Clubhouse from day one. Nothing else would do her. We'd try different programs on the telly. She'd cry. So it was it was there from kind of day one. She was very kind of fixated on the same things. Another kind of trait we saw early on was just that she would put everything into her mouth. Kids with autism, like they kind of, if you handed a, like a child a doll, maybe a one-year-old, they kind of play with the doll and rub the doll and feed the doll. Like her, she would have never done anything like that. It was always into the mouth and then fling it across the room. There was no kind of, appropriately with toys and just like that it, her brain didn't kind of function that way now I still had no idea that she was on the spectrum I put it down to just her being different and you know it was our first baby my nephew was actually three months older than Kirsty so my sister and my mom could see the, the differences they could see like how far along he was as opposed to where Kirsty was and it was kind of mirrored in him how developmentally delayed she was because he was spoon feeding himself when she you know had no in no ability to do anything like that or he would be looking at toys and playing and playing with other kids and looking for his mommy and stuff and um, so my mom actually flagged it when Kirsty was about 12 months old she said to me I think I think we need to go to the public health nurse and sure we were having murder because I was you know I was so upset and like you're yeah. saying there's something wrong with my child and she's fine that's just the way she is and so we ended up going to the public health nurse when she was about I'd say 13 months old and the public health nurse said look it's far too young to be talking about anything like that She's really? fine, take her home. So my mom was really like, my mom all only wanted to be proved wrong, you know. That's yeah, all she wanted to say to her. No, no, you're overreacting, she's fine. So we left and then I'd say it was about two or three months later. I started kind of worrying, I started kind of seeing things and thinking, you know, I'm not really sure 
like she wasn't talking and my nephew was chatting away and I remember saying to my mom one day should Percy be talking and she said Ira you know she'll do it in her own time but she said to me afterwards that when I left the house she said to my dad Jesus of course she should be talking like she's, she's right. nearly one and a half you know there should be something there should be mom or dad or something so my mom was definitely more worried about it she could see it you know so we went back to the public health nurse we were back there when she was about I'd say 18 or 19 months and what happens is they actually have um, a questionnaire it's called a Q-chat Right. So it's a questionnaire for um, checking for autism, the checklist for autism. And we got to about three or four questions down and I just, I couldn't even answer them. I stopped answering because I knew like yeah. everything was no and it should have been yeah. And I, my heart was in my throat and my mom knew I was getting upset and I was heavily pregnant on Logan at the time as well. So I was just, I kind of, it kind of sank in. Elaine, just talk to me about that sheet and filling that in. Like, was there anticipation when you got to that third question? Was there dread? Was it a sinking feeling with you? I was kind of, I was dreading the appointment anyway because I had looked up online what an 18 to 24 month checkup entails. And as I said, I knew there was no way that she was going to be able to do them. But I just thought maybe that they'd say, oh, we'll refer, we'll look at her again in a few months' time. But when she took out that form, I Googled it after. She actually asked me three questions and I answered no to the first two. By the time we got to the third one, I just, I stopped answering. I just couldn't. I was sick to my stomach. I was holding in the tears because I knew the outcome. And the questionnaire was so long. I think there was, there must have been 20 or 30 questions on it. And I just oh, couldn't. And my mom kind of started answering for me. And while my mom was answering, I was Googling the Q-chat. And when I saw what it stood for, then I was, I was done. Like I just looked at my mom and I shook my head. And the nurse said, look, I think I've everything I need. She said, I'm afraid I'm going to have to refer and oh, we got up and left and my mom was just said to me, are you okay? And I said, no, I just crumbled. Like, I was heartbroken. I was gutted. I'm kicking myself that I didn't see it. Then my mom would say, we were here six months ago and they sent us away. But she was too young at 12 months to, to see anything. You know, there's a reason that they wait until around that time. But yeah, that Q-chat, even now, if somebody messages me about it, I, I still get that thinking feeling because I think if you're at that stage where the Q-chat form comes out, it's never good news. You know, they don't take it out for nothing. Like When you went in in that moment, like, is she do- doing like everyday baby stuff, but just not like... Yeah, it was more like for Christy, like her physical milestones were fine. You know, she sat up. She was a late crawler and she was a late walker as well. Like she walked at 19 months and the doctor said to me, 18 months is kind of the cutoff where we stopped worrying after that, but she actually ended up walking that shortly after. So, like, physically, she was fine, you know, but it was just, like, developmentally, you could see, like, kind of intellectually and making relationships with people and forming connections with people. It just wasn't there. It was, like, six stations on the same thing. So I knew that she wasn't going to be able to do what the public health nurse asked her to. I knew she wouldn't be able to understand what was being asked of her anyway. And they do this thing, it's called object permanence, they put um, a toy on top of the table and then they take the toy and put it onto the table. And in order to develop developing child at that age, will know that the toy is under the table and will go look for it. Um, but kids on the spectrum don't have that object permanent. It's like literally the minute the toy was under the table, it disappeared. And she didn't have no idea where it went. She didn't go looking for it. It was just like out of sight, out of mind. And um, that was the nurse said that was a big thing as well. And apparently pointing is a big thing. Um, I knew the kind of things she was asking me. Is she pointing? And I would say no. Is she looking at you when you're calling her? And I would say no. And then you know that her hearing was checked a lot. So we knew it wasn't her hearing. 
I think I knew by the time we started answering those questions that we were in trouble. And tell me this, with your mum, were you like, she was the one that Indiana was right. So was how was your feeling towards your mum? Yeah, I mean, I was angry with her the first time she brought us and there was definitely a feeling of when we left there, I kind of went, are you happy now? You know, she said there's nothing to worry about. And she said, Elaine, I, I'm delighted. All I wanted to do was proven wrong. But when we went back there the second time and they said there was something to worry about, there was there was no need for anything like you were right or I told you so. We were just, both of us were too heartbroken. She was just devastated for me and I was devastated for my child. So mm. I was glad she was there with me at the time and I know it was very hard for her. I know she felt a lot of guilt that it was her that kind of almost initiated it. But she had to, like she was, she was going out of her head with worry at home, like thinking there's something there that we're not seeing. So she just had to, she had to initiate it. And I've never... I've never blamed her for it. I actually found out afterwards as well that she contacted the public health nurse okay. and said, will you just bring forward my daughter's appointment? I, I just need someone to prove me wrong. I know there's something wrong. And she only admitted that to me like a few years afterwards. But I just thought, you know, as a mother, there's no length you won't go to. And I'm still her daughter, even though I was a mother. So she was sick with worry over, over me and Kirsty. So I've never, I've never blamed her. I've never felt any anger towards her like she pushed me to do because she knew it you know yeah and how did you feel then when Logan got diagnosed so you're dealing with Kirsty with it and then Logan how did you feel then and were you like were you like oh my god like why me why again why my kids oh I felt so so hard done by first of all I just felt like I remember saying to my friend I was heartbroken over her I'm annoyed now over him. Like, I just thought, is this actually happening again? And you know, the hardest part, people assume that when you've one child on the spectrum that you automatically know what to do if it happens again. And they are so unbelievably different that we were literally starting off from scratch again with a completely different child. I mean, I was so busy looking for the traits that Kirsty had with Logan that I didn't see the ones he had because mm-hmm. they were completely different. So when he was diagnosed, I was devastated and I didn't think that my heart could break all over again but it did and um, also I think as well for us because we had the conversation of if Logan is diagnosed we're not going to have any more kids if he isn't then maybe we'll try for another one Um, when he was diagnosed we closed that shop so it was kind of like that decision was taken away from us and that was heartbreaking as well because I would have I would have loved another baby but yeah I felt so utterly devastated when Logan was diagnosed and more so for Brian because She's my little girl, but he was he was his boy, you know, his son. And Brian has 16 nieces and only two nephews. So there's a serious shortage of boys in that family. And, you know, you'd have the images of them going training together and playing yeah. soccer and taking him to matches and all the stuff that he has no interest in. And I could see all that in front of me, all the stuff that was taken away from me with her, like having little tea parties and playing with dolls and cinema trips and stuff that we never had. So I was heartbroken that he wasn't going to have that with Logan either and um, so yeah I was I felt very very hard done by and definitely had the why me why us moments like it's not fair I still think to this day it's not fair like at all and then just let me take it back really quick so you get the formal diagnosis did you get it in that in that room that moment with the nurse or does that come later after more tests no, once you're the public health nurse refers you for something called uh, an assessment of need. So you go to an area medical officer, then that's the first step. So we met with the area medical officer and then they look at the child and see if it needs a further referral to like a psychologist for the diagnosis. Um, at that time now, this was, this was seven years ago, 
the assessments of need were supposed to be done within three months, but they were taken up to 12 months. So we ended up actually going for a private diagnosis. Um, we got an appointment about a month later. There was a, a psychologist that used to come from Dublin a few, every few weeks to a clinic in Cork. And we just happened to get an appointment with him. And the appointment with him was about, I'm going to say about 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And he said to us there and then, it is autism that she has. Now, he emailed the diagnosis within a few days with all the recommendations. But he told us there and then that she was autistic. And then you were saying the used word, and I know on your Instagram, you used the word stimming a lot. So what is stimming? Yeah. Stimming is the kind of self-stimulatory behaviour for kids with autism. So for Kirsty, it would be flapping, rocking, twirling her hair, um, vocally stimming, like constantly making noises with her mouth, running up and down. She kind of does this thing where she waves her hand in front of her face. She blinks kind of excessively. It's just like all kind of, all humans actually stim. Like for me now, it would be biting my nails. Or do you know some people chew the top of a pencil? Yeah. My mom makes little tiny knots in her hair just out of habit. She doesn't even know she's doing it. We do it as humans kind of when your mind wanders. But for kids on the spectrum, they do it to kind of bring themselves back and calm themselves down when they get overexcited or when they get upset, it's their system kind of getting out that energy, whether it be good or bad. And then talk to me through the diagnosis, because there is, I, I know that there is a lot of different types of autism. Yeah. So autism is a spectrum. And actually back then they used to kind of tell you there and then where, where they would be on the spectrum. Like you said to us, you know, she's quite severe. Like she's, she's quite classically autistic, which would mean she nearly tick every box. Um, a lot of girls on the spectrum, it's hard to diagnose them because some of them would be fine in other areas. Kirsty kind of nearly, as I said, ticked every box. But there's there's a lot of people, on, like my husband, would have what's called high-functioning autism, which would mean it doesn't affect his brain, it doesn't affect his development, it never affected him in college or school, like intellectually, we'd say. It's more the kind of social aspect of it. Whereas with Kirsty and Logan, they're kind of on the other end of the spectrum where it affects everything, it affects their delay their developmental delay, it affects their intellectual delay, it affects their social cues, it affects their language, their speech, kind of affects every area of their lives and their bodies. It's called global developmental delay. They'd be delayed in everything, whereas okay. other people on the spectrum, it might just be socially or it might just be things like sensory where it comes to food or taste or smell. Kirsty and Logan would have all of the above. I know the kids are non-verbal. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I would say no. Kirsty, technically, she's still classed as non-verbal by the speech and language therapist and by the professionals. But we kind of would say she's more pre-verbal now, as in she's kind of getting the understanding of us talking and what we mean when we say, say mommy, say thank you, say please. You know, she understands what the word say means and she'll repeat the word. And kind of in the last year, she started coming out with phrases by herself, but it could be very random. Like yesterday, now she was out of school and I could swear she said, missing my teacher she may have said those words I don't know if she understood what she was saying but she's definitely coming out with words so I would say she's more pre-verbal and compared to Logan she definitely is because Logan is completely non-verbal like he doesn't have any words at all and there's a lot of people out there in the autistic community that have a problem with the term non-verbal because they say there's other ways of communication and there is I mean Logan communicates with me perfectly when he wants something he just doesn't do it with language so I have no bother with the term non-verbal because he is he, he doesn't speak verbally so I would say Kirsty technically is non-verbal but she's she's getting there with her words whereas he's still completely non-verbal and she was still she was completely non-verbal up to about two years ago fast forward then to Logan his traits and his um his diagnosis or how you found that so 
Logan was born shortly after Kirsty was diagnosed. And for the first, I'd say for the first year and a half, he never, ever slept at all. He was a really, really cross baby. Like he screamed constantly. Even as a newborn, he didn't sleep. I didn't know that those were traits of special needs because Kirsty was a fantastic baby for sleep and she was so placid. She was very happy to be just sitting in her bunks by herself, but he wasn't. He was up all the time. He was he was just a really, really cross baby. Um, it was it wasn't actually until Logan started walking that we saw any trace because he was brilliant with eye contact. Like he'd stare into you and he still to this day he'd look at anyone in the eye. He he'd answer to his name. He was a little bit better back then for trying new foods, you know, whereas Kirsty was kinda of empty reaching and gag if there was something that she didn't like the smell of. We actually thought he was fine. Um, but then he started walking and it was like the switch. He walked and he got up one day and just started walking around like chasing his tail nearly like in a circle. And I I remember saying to a friend of mine, you know, is, is that a trait of autism? Like kind of chasing their tail. And she said, yeah. And then it was just like our eyes were opened. We started noticing that he wasn't playing with toys properly. Like my husband would sit on the high chair and give him Lego blocks and he'd put them into his mouth and he'd throw them away. Whereas he, he wasn't building them like he should have been at that age even. Our eyes were kind of opened and I went to the public health nurse in a panic when he was, I think he was about 16 months. I, I literally turned up at the office on a Monday without even an appointment with him in the buggy. And I said, you have to look at him. You, you have to tell me. I have to know now. I, I can't go another six months wondering and waiting like I did with Kirsty. You just have to tell me. So she had a look at him and she kind of did the same kind of thing, the same appointment that she would have been doing in two months anyway. And the Q chat came out and uh, the report again. And she said to me, do I really need to fill out this? And I said, I don't think so. And she said, I don't think so either. So he was actually diagnosed at 19 months, which was very, very young. Wow. It was it was kind of very obvious. Yeah, we brought him to the same psychologist and he actually said he was the youngest child he ever diagnosed. But like that, the appointment was about 10, 15 minutes. And he knew, he knew like that it was there. And Logan is actually much more severe than Kirsty is in, in autism and in their intellectual disabilities. So I think it was there from day one with him as well. And in what way is Logan different to Kirsty? So Kirsty is actually, she's, she's a very happy child. You could see that from my Instagram. Like she's passed away by herself and she's, if you know, if she wants something, she comes to you. But she's kind of, kind of happy in her own little world, whereas Logan isn't. He needs kind of constant comfort. And when it comes to the learning like if Kirsty will take a long time to learn something, but once she learns, she has it and she'll keep it. Whereas Logan regresses constantly. You teach him a song for months on end and he'd eventually understand and he'll do the clap hands or whatever. And then you could leave it two or three days and it's like he never heard it. He loses things really, really quickly. He re- it's like he resets um, and he can get very, very aggressive as well. Like we've never had any, any like violent behavior from Kirsty ever, even on her worst days. But we've had it from Logan since he was about two or three. Like he'll bite, he'll punch, he'll kick, he'll pull his hair, he'll scream, he and he'll do it to himself as well, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Like the self injurious behaviour is just horrendous with him. Like he's given himself black eyes, he's constantly bruised, he just he's very, very aggressive. And um, that was what actually pushed me to get him re diagnosed at four and a half. Right. Because we couldn't understand why he was so unhappy. It turned out that he has a severe intellectual disability as well, and he wasn't coping in the autism unit because it was that was even too far for him, like too advanced for him. So he ended up being transferred to a special school. 
And Elaine, um, as a mammy, how do you deal with watching him do that to himself? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's absolute hell. I mean, he used, to, he used to punch me and he used to, you know, slap me or kick me or pull my hair, whatever. And I used to absolutely hate it. I used to say, oh my God, like, it's such abusive behavior from your own child. But then he started doing it to himself. And I was like, just go back to doing it to me. I, I just can't handle when he does it himself. Like, he came home from school one day with a black eye from punching himself so hard. And it was, I actually think it was the lowest moment of my life. Like, I've never felt that bad in my whole life. I just, it was just like the pits. I just thought, like, what in the future are we facing into unless we get this child sorted? So we started him on CBD oil shortly after. And it did help for a while. Um, we started him on a very, very low dose of CBD oil. And it did help. It did kind of take the edge off him for a while. But he's, I mean, he's much bigger now. And we still, we still have major problems with his aggression. We're just, we're dealing with cams at the moment now trying to get an appointment with him. It's, it's been nearly two years that we've been waiting. Things got a little bit better when he was moved to the special school as well, because I think he wasn't under so much pressure and frustration in school. But he does have very, very bad episodes. Like he really does. And he's very, very strong. Like we're at the stage now where if he has if he has a bad meltdown, we just have to put him into the swing or put him into the front room with the couch and close the door. Because if you try to get near him, he'll hurt too. And he'll hurt himself. So we just we just have to leave him, leave him calm down, which is heartbreaking in itself because all you want to do is comfort him, but you can't. So it's, it's very, very hard. I won't lie. We're still trying to figure it out. It's, and it's very scary to think about what he'll be like when he's 16 instead of six because my husband works full time. We need we need his wage. So I'm going to be the one that's at home. But I, I do literally like stay awake at night thinking of how am I going to manage him when he's a big boy, you know? And what you said that they were they're in special school. So what um were they in mainstream schooling and then you got like how how much help is there out there for a parent like you? They were both in autism units, so Kirsty went to what happens is when you get a diagnosis, you're entitled to start early intervention, which starts at age three, so they go to an, an ASE unit at three. So most mainstream schools have ASE units attached to them. Um Kirsty was very, very happy there. She went through early intervention for two years. Then she went to junior ASC. It was only actually when she moved up to senior ASC. So they they go from three to six, six to nine, and then nine to 12. Those are the ages of early intervention, junior and senior. It was only when she moved to seniors last year that we saw she was really, really struggling. And she was diagnosed with a moderate ID. So if the kids have a dual diagnosis like autism and an intellectual disability, and the recommendation is for a special school. A special school is kind of like one step further than an autism unit. An autism unit will still follow a curriculum from the Department of Education. Like there's still, you know, kind of a little bit of mainstream learning involved. There's still a program to follow. Whereas in special school, the emphasis is kind of on whatever learning they can manage, whatever level they can do. It's completely tailored. And they're mostly about kind of life skills, like teaching them how to kind of, you know, dress and clean and feed rather than math and English and Irish, you know, just things that they probably will never be able for. So the both of them are in the special school. Logan was in a unit as well, but he, he really, really struggled. He wasn't he wasn't even able for the basic early intervention. It was only when he moved to the special school that he, he started to just be much, much happier. It's more much easier for him down there. What is a day, start me off with a day in the life of you waking up in the morning um, and... What happens? So our day can start at any time. 
from two o'clock in the morning on. Kirsty is an absolutely brutal sleeper. So she can wake some mornings at two. You'd hear her jumping around in the bedroom. You'd see that you'd see the light going on. Um, so she'll come in. Usually one of us will go into her bedroom then because there's no point two of us being awake. And if you try to keep her in her room, she'll scream and then she'll wake Logan. So she comes into my bed usually and one of us will go into her room. Usually we'd give her, well, usually she takes the iPad. We've, we've had a few instances where we've tried not to give it to her. But um, you know yourself in the middle of the night, you just want to and things kind of keep the house calm. So she'll watch the iPad in bed or she'll go downstairs and play with a few toys. And um, Logan usually wakes. Now, there's some nights that she does sleep and some nights we have to wake the both of them for school. So if that was the case, we'd wake them at maybe quarter to eight, half seven, give, give them both their breakfast. Logan is still spoon fed. So we give him his Weedabex. More often than not, I give her her Weedabex as well because she's not a great eater. But if I have time, she'll eat it herself. And we get them ready for school, get them dressed. And we can't put on their shoes until I see the bus coming into the estate. Mm. Because if you say to them that they're going, we have to go then. And there's there's no such thing as waiting around in this house. Like if you say we're going to the car, we have to be at the door. You can't forget your phone. You just have to keep going. And you can't turn the car around. We just have to go. So what when we see the bus coming in, what happens if you absolute, don't go? Absolute murder. They're screaming and crying at the door. If the door isn't locked, they're gone out the front door. And they're pulling at you. They're setting each other off crying. They just don't understand. They don't understand waiting. And that's been one of the hardest struggles, especially for Kirsty. Even as she got older, it's still one of the things that she finds so, so hard. If you're out in the car and you do a U-turn, if you forgot your phone or your wallet, they'd, she'd absolutely scream the place down. So we have to kind of do everything before we say those words. So the bus driver kind of beats when he comes in, which allows me to put on their shoes. He turns and then literally by the time he pulls up, they're out the door and they're gone to school, which is fantastic to me because they're on the transport. They have a good kind of 30 minutes to calm down before they get to school. And I have a bit of a break. Then they come home off the bus and the day could go anyway like today now Kirsty is not in the best form she's kind of dimming and kind of crying on and off all day and it's so so hard when you don't know what's wrong with them and when they can't tell you what's wrong mm. so like we have their obviously they communicate through their she has a speech device and he has a textbook so you can show them pictures and if she wants a drink she can ask for a picture but she can't she doesn't have any way of saying my tummy hurts I have a pain in my throat I'm tired I had a bad day. It's just like, it's a guessing game. So we take them out for a spin in the car. Usually if Logan is bad, I'll attach him to Milo, his uh, service dog. We go for a walk. But it's, it's honest to God, it's about routine and still keeping them calm because we can have meltdowns here, especially from Logan that can last hours. And it's, it's torture for everyone. So we try to keep everything the same. Like it's always the same programs on the telly it's always the same food when they come home it's always the same thing like she'll sit on the couch with her two brushes he'll lay on the bed and if we go anywhere it might be to my mother's or his mother's but other than that there's there's nothing else really every day is kind of the same if we're if we're lucky every day is kind of the same talk to me about the two brushes oh god the two brushes i don't know what the story with the two brushes is she's just obsessed so like she, she has had a toothbrush in her hand, Rebecca, since she was about 
I basically she was about one. A, a memory actually came up on my Facebook where she was in the hospital when she was 13 months old and she has a toothbrush in her hand. She's just always been obsessed with holding objects in her hand and it was always a toothbrush. So I'd say about a year ago, she started to like constantly pull the bristles out of the toothbrush and we were going through toothbrushes like you wouldn't believe. But I was saying, there's no, she's doing no harm. Like it's just something that suits her. And it's a lot to do with the stimming as well. Like Kirsty, you see a lot of kids on the spectrum with chewy tubes. They're like these chewy things that hang around their neck or like chewable bracelets. It's just good for the jaw, you know, kids with um, on the spectrum, especially girls I've heard, have a lot of kind of tension in the jaw and they like to just chew on things. So we were saying, okay, that's that's what she's doing. And they're cheaper than chewy juice because chewy juice are actually quite expensive. Mm. So we were going through the toothbrushes and then she kind of stopped and she started pulling out her hair and she was pulling out her hair in clumps and it was just, we were in blind panic because I didn't know, like I was finding her hair everywhere. So I gave her a toothbrush one day and she pulled out the bristles with the toothbrush and it was the first day in weeks that she didn't pull out her hair. So we just kept giving her the toothbrushes and now it's, it's just two horses. When she's happy, when she's upset, when she needs to be calmed down, she's just obsessed with them. I seen obsessed. the de- the delivery. The Am- was it an Amazon delivery? Yeah, we we actually bit the second bullet and ordered them in bulk on Amazon. We bought a hundred two horses for twenty sterling. I was hoping that they'd come loose because I'm buying them in deals and. The amount of plastic that we waste—it's just—it's <laughs> ridiculous. Like my recycling bin is constantly full, and then the toothbrushes are wasted as well. So I'm saying, if we buy in bulk, at least we can cut down on the plastic. And the toothbrushes came individually wrapped, <laughs> so there's a hundred individually wrapped toothbrushes, each in their own second plastic. So yeah, we and then I took her to Penny's and she picked out two five packs of toothbrushes, even though she had a hundred at home. So we're swimming in toothbrushes, God. swimming in them. And then tell me about our pajamas. You have, do you think you're going to have a problem now with the pajamas? What's the story? So she, I just happened to buy these pajamas. I just probably two years ago now, maybe a year or two years ago. These pink stripy pajamas because Kirsty had an awful habit of stripping off. Like you could go into her room in the middle of the night and she could be completely naked. And she's getting bigger now, so mm. we can't really have that anymore. So she just took a liking to these pajamas anyway. It was just like one of many that I bought. But I could, I could kind of see that she would be looking for them in the washing basket or if you took them off and put them in the wash, she'd go and take it back out. She just loves these ones. So I did what every other autism parent does and bought them in bulk in case, God forbid, we'd run out. And so we bought them. We bought in that's the higher sizes as well. And now she won't wear anything else. Oh, she won't wear any other pajamas. And we're getting to the stage now where... The, the biggest size in Duns is getting too small because she's so tall and they don't have them anymore. So my mom is thinking, would she just sew one giant pajamas of all the ones that are too small? So I'm trialing pajamas now at the moment, like putting them on her during the day for even an hour and then she'll go and get the stripy one. And at the moment, I don't mind her sleeping in them, but they're not going to last much longer. So we're just going to have to cross that bridge. Like everything is kind of, there's no such thing as a sudden change for Kirsty. I mean, I used to change the sheets on her bed and she'd go out to the landing and pull the old ones back and put them back on. She just, she doesn't do well with change. So the pajamas, as well as being comfortable, it's just, it's a bit of a security blanket for her, I think. So we'll just have to tackle that one slowly. I mean, people have said to me, just throw out all the stripy ones and then she'll have no other choice. And I was like, yeah, and she'd be awake all night, you know? Yeah. You just don't understand like that. Kids like Kirsty, like they need everything to be introduced slowly and almost like they don't even know what's happening. 
You know, yeah. it'll just be one day now she'll go to bed with a different top on the stripe pajamas end and then we slowly introduce it like that. Uh, it just it just takes patience, but yeah, she's going around now like no one's child with the pants up around her ankles because <laughs> she's so tall, her legs are so long. And come here, you just yeah. said, dude, that some people say to you, oh, just do this. Do you get a pain in your face with people going, giving you their two cents? Oh, God, yeah, I do. And I always say, by the time I get to my Instagram and ask people for recommendations or suggestions, I've exhausted every option that I know. So all the normal ones, you know, if I say on my Instagram, oh, I don't know what's wrong with her today. And I get like a hundred well-meaning people saying, has she a headache? Has she a toothache? Has she a tummy ache? And I'm like, guys, if I knew that, you know, I wouldn't be wondering if she can't tell me. And people really do mean well. But yeah, you do get the unsolicited advice from people whose aunt, sisters, daughters, cousin knows someone with autism. And you're like, oh, that's sick. But yeah, people people do love to give their opinions, be they're good or bad. How are you going to deal with Kirsty going through all of that when she's in her teenage years and puberty and so on? Yeah, we're actually dealing with it now already at the moment, believe it or not, because she's so developed for a nine-year-old. Like she has breast buds, she has hair down below. I mean, she looks more like an 11 or 12-year-old. And I developed quite, quite early as a young girl, so I think she's going to be the same. I actually had her blood taken last year and all her hormone levels were normal because I was worried about her body was changing. And then we had the blood taken again this year and her estrogen levels are way, way higher than they should be. So I actually, and there's actually scientific proof out there that girls on the spectrum develop earlier and go to puberty earlier. Now, people might slate me for saying this, but I am not dealing with periods this young. I'm just refusing to do it. I don't need to put her through that. She doesn't need to be putting through that. Like, there's no way that I could ever explain to her what it is and what you do every month. So that was why she was in hospital yesterday. We actually had a bone scan to see the development of her bones and if she's developing too young. And we're on a waiting list for an endocrinologist, just a hormone specialist that will keep an eye on it for the next year. And if she needs something to delay them, then that's what we do 100% because I'm not, I'm not seeing periods. I couldn't. It, it, honestly, a lady messaged me and she went through with her daughter. Now she said this was 15 years ago and she was just told to kind of get on with it. She said to me, it was like potty training all over again. I couldn't explain to her. She's 21 now and she still doesn't understand. I still have to help her every month. And I just think in this day and age, why would I do that to her and do that to us? She mm. has enough going on. And I mean, it's very sad for me as her mom. She'll have the body of a woman, but she'll have the mind of a child still. And she'll always have the mind of a child. So I'm kind of ahead of that, if you like. I, I have my eye on the ball when it comes to that. And I have had the last year because I'm I'm kind of very proactive in that. And I, I just don't think that she needs to be put through that. So we're kind of waiting for that and making sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah, no, do you know what? Fair play to you. And it's gas because like, you just have to say like, okay, whatever, I'm, I'm going to do me. I'm just going to do me. This is the card I've been dealt and I'm going to do me and I don't really care if I think this is best for my child, I'm going to do it. So fair play to you for thinking that. Yeah. Bit. So whatever you need to do for you, you need to do for you. And do, do you feel judgment? Do you, do you give a shit about the judgment or do you not care about the judgment or how, how are you in your own headspace about that? I, I mean, I felt, I felt judgment and I do feel judgment from people but at this stage with what we're dealing with every day, I excuse my language, I really couldn't give a being honest. I couldn't. I don't care what people say. Nobody has a clue of what it's like to live in this house. And I have plenty of friends with girls on the spectrum and boys on the spectrum and multiple kids that are special needs. 
I don't understand their life and they don't understand mine. And I put I put about ninety percent of it out on social media. I'm not afraid to show the bad as well. Um and I can get judgment from people that that I honestly think because they will never understand. And like people try to fix things for you. They try to give you what they think will work. And if that doesn't work then they're kinda of thrown because it's just in people's nature to want to fix things, but no, I'm, I'm gone past the stage where I, I really don't care what people think. I mean, when we close our front door at night, it's myself and Brian that are rearing them children. So somebody messaging me telling me, oh, let her go through periods. It's, it's normal. I'm like, will you come and try and explain it to her? You know? Yeah, I'm gone. I'm gone past the point of caring. I mean, people, I suppose people think that you're doing her a disservice by saying, you know, she'll never understand. I'm not doing her a disservice by saying that. I know my child, I know what she's dealing with and I know where she's at intellectually. So it's not me being insulting to Kirsty saying she'll never understand periods. It's just a fact of life. She just won't have that understanding. And I think if I can take that away, that's one less thing that she can worry about. I mean, she's never she's never going to have babies. She's never going to be independent to live away from me and Brian. So she doesn't need to have periods as far as I'm concerned. Now saying that, we could come back to it when she's older and I might say, okay, you know, things have changed. Maybe she could if she became properly verbal and I could explain. But as it stands now and in the, for the foreseeable future, she she um, wouldn't be in a position to deal with them at all. For example, if Kirsty cuts her finger and you put a plaster on, she'll pull the plaster off. She just doesn't understand that that's why a plaster is there. So you can imagine that whole aspect of actually trying to control periods. There's just no way we'd be able to manage this, you know. You just said there about um, that she'll never have children. Um, that I know you said before, the future is your Achilles heel. Yeah, I mean, if. It, it is. I mean, it's very hard for me to even say that out loud, but I've, I've accepted a lot of things. I've accepted that they won't have children and that they'll be with us forever. You know, that's my role as a parent. And when you get pregnant, there's no there's no guarantee. There's no guidebook you, you where the children you have. And we wouldn't give them back for anything, Jesus. But yeah, I do get very, very worried about the future, especially now for things like that. I mean, I worry about Christie's vulnerability as she's older, um, I worry about people taking advantage of them. I worry about Logan's strength and when he gets older and like if he'll be too strong for me to manage him. I suppose I worry about being forever a carer even when I'm not able to be one. I mean, the way I feel, I feel like me and my husband, can, we can never die. You know, we, we have to always just be around for them because there's no one else that can do it. And it's quite daunting to think of that. I mean, I don't see any time where me and Brian will just be parents and they'd be off doing their own thing you know I think we're going to be carers for life and I don't think I'd be human if I didn't think that wasn't you know upsetting and that it wasn't just what do you think not what you signed up for when you wanted to become a parent I know I can't change it but I'm, I'm quite realistic about how it makes me feel and I suppose it got it took me a long time to get to the stage that I could say that out loud without feeling guilty or without feeling like I'm insulting them I I don't like their autism. I don't like everything that is taken from them. I don't like what is taken from us. I hate how hard it made their it makes their life. And even my husband would be very, very high functioning. And I, I hate the struggles that he faces every day with it. So I can say that. I love them. But I, I, I don't love their autism. I don't think I ever will. I've accepted it, but I don't. I'm not one of these parents that say, oh, it's a gift. And I wouldn't change them for the world. I would take it away if I could. You know, mm. I definitely, I don't think any parents wouldn't if they could make their child's life a little bit easier and theirs as well. You changed your bio this week for um, Brian. How was that? And just explain that. Yeah, so Brian um, has been kind of wondering for a long time about himself. There's a lot of stuff that he would have seen in the kids that he would have seen himself. 
Um, definitely the last two years we've been kind of talking about it more. I kind of, I think I've kind of known a lot longer than he was willing to admit that there might have been something there. Obviously, the more people I follow and the more adults I see being diagnosed, I could see the traits and I could see the similarities. But he just wasn't ready himself. Um, so he he was ready this year and he went to an assessment in the summer. We both went and he was diagnosed with Asperger's. So that was, I'm going to say the end of July. For, for a good while, he didn't kind of, wasn't comfortable telling anyone and you know, obviously, I'm such an open person about our family, and I was saying, you know, when when you're ready to talk about it, like I'll talk about it because I think it only makes it only makes us more more authentic in a way like that. I have all of these different sides of the spectrum that I, you know, that we're living with. Um. So yeah, he decided to give me the green light this week and let me post about it, which I was delighted to do because it's I I think it's such a huge thing for him. I mean, it's it's nearly like a coming out, you know, yeah. just accepting something. Um, and he's doing so much better since he's diagnosed. I mean, it, it's actually made a huge difference to him. He feels so much better. So even my sister rang me and she said, I couldn't believe it when I saw the post. Like, I couldn't believe that he actually let you do it because I was like, let me write about it. No, let me talk about it. And yeah. I wouldn't have never done it until he was ready. So yeah, he's he's in the bio now as my Aspie husband, which um, he's delighted with and he got such an amazing feedback and such a lovely response to this place. Do you think that, like with Brian, was he worried about the lads finding out? Was it what was his worry about? It, do you think, or he just was like? I think he was more worried about his family, like maybe his parents feeling a little bit like why didn't they see it, or maybe he was worried about as that now because the kids are so severe. People thinking like, how could he be on the spectrum as well as them when he's in college and he's working and he's this, that and the other and then, you know, they're non-verbal but the spectrum is so, so vast and I think that, that's why I want to portray it. I want to be able to say when people say autism spectrum disorder I don't think they realise just how many different levels there are and how you can be so successful in college and so successful in your career and be struggling with this thing that nobody sees because for Brian it would, all, it would be all the social and the anxiety part, you know that a lot of that is very hidden for people, and a lot of people get through their life trying to ignore it. So I think the fact that he was letting me talk about it um, is just because he has accepted it, and he he doesn't feel bad about it. And we obviously told his family and my family privately before I went public with it. But no, he was he was more worried about anyone being upset. But I think obviously his family has you know. It, it doesn't change anything and they all said that to him so once he was happy with their reaction and them knowing he he didn't really mind then you know he actually said to me if it helps anyone it'd be worth it and we got the most amazing messages we got a message from a lady about her son who was diagnosed with Asperger's last year and he wants to do science in secondary school he's having a hard time now or in, in yeah in secondary he's having a hard time in primary and when the lady said when she showed him my post he it was like he could see his own life and he was like Jesus I could do that in college and I could have a job and I could be happily married and he kind of saw for the first time that he has potential outside of his autism and sure that alone is amazing and I got so many like that so it was it was definitely worth it and I'm delighted that he let me kind of go public with it because I think it just it creates another kind of side of autism like we obviously have the severe side here but it creates an awareness about that other side that people don't see you know the side that's not so obvious and when we started talking about what it was like for him as a child, it's it's a lot more common, I think, than people think. And I think the fact that adults are getting diagnosed older and older 
obviously it it doesn't change their life, you know. I mean, he's still going to go and do the same job and still going to live the same life. But I said to him, if you're even awake one night wondering about something, you know, go get looked at. If they say you don't have it, then fair enough. And if they say you do, it's not going to change anything. But it does, it, it gives you some closure, you know. So I think the fact that adults are getting diagnosed, it, it just proves that it, it has been around for a long time. We just didn't didn't have the tools to kind of diagnose it. And then we were talking earlier on, you said about um, the speech device and obviously about Milo. Are they like, are they available to all families? Is like, how hard is it to get, get like a, a dog like Milo? So my canine companion are the autism service dogs. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. We got Milo from, unfortunately, it is hard to get a dog. I mean, their waiting lists are closed at the moment. Um, when they open... There's just so many families on the list. It took us, I think we were on the list almost four years wow. um, before a dog came up. Now, I know the Irish guide dogs are doing um, dogs for autism as well. They're not just doing um, guide dogs anymore. They're training service dogs for autism. Like The same thing every once in a while. Their lists open up and you can apply. It is it is tough to get on the list and it's tough. You know, the wait is tough, but we were lucky enough to get them. Um, the opportunity to do a boarding with my canine companion, which is when you foster a dog that's in training, you know that you're not going to get to keep them. And we had a dog called Rue for 16 weeks while she was qualifying. And with my canine companion, they do an intense um, qualifying program at the end of their training when they're almost two. And they stay with a family car for 16 weeks before they're qualified and then they go to their forever home. 
So I boarded through and as devastated as I was then by her because she was, oh, she was just amazing. It gave us the insight of what life would be like with a service dog and the obligations that come with it. Like, you know, the maintenance walks and you have to, you have to constantly keep up the training and it's not, it's not a pet, you know, it's not like having a pet, they, they're a specific working dog. So we did the boarding for that and we did the boarding for another dog as well. And then I knew that we were, when the time came up, that we would be ready for a dog because I saw the difference that it made in the house. I saw that Logan liked having the dog around. And when we did when we did get Milo, the attachment process, which I thought would take much longer, I didn't think he'd like having a belt around his waist and walking along attached to a dog. It was amazing. Within, I'd say, two or three weeks, we were out walking around Milo with the belt on, he was holding on to the handles, just trying to run away. It was like he knew that he was anchored to the dog. And before that, not that we could go anywhere anyway, because we couldn't go anywhere without him screaming. But I would have him grip, like if I catch him by the hand. I mean, he was still in, he was still in a, especially in Leeds buggy when we got Milo. And we got rid of the buggy shortly after. And I just couldn't believe that we could walk out to the shopping centre or walk around the park and I wouldn't have to have him grip. Like I'm actually holding the dog and the dog is attached to him. So it just gave us all the freedom. Like if he doesn't want to hold on to the handle, he doesn't have to because he's tied on. So his hands are free to, you know, to hold things or pick up things. And it's just amazing. I'll never be able to put into words how fantastic it is having a dog. I really wish that every family could get one, but it is hard. And I mean, it costs €10,000 to train a service dog. Wow. So we fundraised a lot as well. And you would be kind of, you would be like, I won't say obliged to fundraise, but obviously they're charities and they don't get donations. They live on donations. They don't get funding. So there is that obligation to fundraise and to help out as well. But I think any family that are looking into getting a dog have no problem fundraising because they, they want it and they need it. But yeah, Milo has been amazing. We couldn't live without him now. He's just fantastic. And then the speech devices, what are they? And Yeah, so the speech device actually started off as a textbook. So text is, um, picture exchange communication system. So it's basically a book with a little picture of, we'd say, a packet of buttons, a Liga, an iPad, a swing, anything that the child would want to request but can't verbalize it. So they're little pictures. Now, sometimes they use like images of Google, we say like almost like cartoon or an icon. Mm-hmm. But we found that, so like a generic picture of a biscuit rather than an actual digestive that they like, we found that photographs actually worked best for Kirsty. So she recognized the photographs in the book and she would pick up the, like the picture of the Liga carton and hand it to me. So I knew she wanted the Liga. And you build up the book from there, you add pictures for everything. And eventually they start using a sentence script. So there's the picture for I want, and then they add drink or I want swing, I want whatever they want. Um, and there's there's depth in building up the text that you start off. You actually physically put your hand, put their hand onto the thing with yours over, and like model the requesting. And they they learn then to just go to the books themselves to pick up the picture. And I mean, it's great. The step one is instant rewards. So we were giving her chocolate buttons at seven o'clock in the morning because that she knew if I peck for this, I get the buttons. Mm-hmm. So they learned that very quickly. We talked about moving to a speech device, which is basically text, but it's on a tablet or an iPad. So the app is now on the tablet. It's called Let Me Talk. And all her pictures are on the tablet. So she goes in and she presses the button on the tablet and it just speaks back to her. So it's a biscuit or toothbrush. So they're hearing the word and they're modeling the word with the picture. 
and they're still keeping up that, you know, that behavior of if I want something, I have to find a way to ask for it, whether it be through my book or saying the words. And you're repeating the words well, so they're hearing the language constantly. So her speech device is just, it's basically like text in tablet form. Logan is still on the textbook because he, as I said earlier, he regresses so often that he could go on midterm break and go back to school and it'd be like he never saw a textbook. They'd have to start from scratch all over again. So he's he's a while off the device yet, but she's absolutely flying with it because it's so much easier. Like if there's something that she wants, we can take a picture there and then you add it to the library and then from then on she can request it. So it's, it's a fantastic way for them to communicate when they are non-verbal. Because obviously we understand as parents, like I know if she's standing by whatever cupboard in the kitchen, what she wants. Mm-hmm. I know if she's standing by the cupboard in the utility room, it's the two brushes. But you just have to remember that if somebody is minding them or somebody is babysitting them or if they're in school, not everyone is going to know automatically what they want at home. You have to find a way for them to communicate with everybody. So it's going to be universal language. And then you just said there again about them being in school or someone babysitting. Do you and Brian get time together? Like, other than Brian, what is your support system like? We, ha- I have to say, we have two fantastic, fantastic families. Like my sisters, Brian's sister and brothers, are parents. They, they cannot do enough. Like, they threw themselves into the world of autism as well. You know, they wanted to learn about it. They wanted to spend time with the kids. And obviously, at the start, it was very daunting. They'd be nearly afraid to look at them in case they upset them. But you know, they all they all learn with us. Like they learn about speech device and they learn about the textbook and they learn about like when they do come down on babysit. More, more often than not, they'll mind them in our house because the kids are just so happy here and we have everything for them. We have the swing of the trampoline and stuff. But we're kind of branching out now. They're starting to kind of, we're, we're at the stage where we can go to a few of our family's houses and the kids are kind of happy out. Um, Kirstie's actually going for a sleepover now this weekend with my sisters if it happens and That'll be kind of the first time. So I'm hoping that that works out. Now she could be up all night for my sister, but we'll see. You Our nervous? families are fantastic, so I have to say. I'm not nervous. I'm looking forward to a nice sleep. I'm nervous for my sister, but she said it's one night for her anyway. So yeah, for like for two families that didn't have any experience of autism at all, they they really do everything they possibly can to help us. Like if we ring any of them and say, you know, we want to go for dinner, or you know, five sisters, so between between the five of them they'll find someone mm. or my sisters will help on my parents so we're very lucky that way we really really are and she seems like Kirsty seems like a nanny's girl <laughs> oh yeah she's definitely a nanny's girl Jesus, she adores my mom. but you know when she was diagnosed it was very hard for people to make connections with her and my mom just she always says that she just forced her way into Kirsty's world she didn't care if she pushed her away or if she was crying or if she was ignoring her she just she just did whatever she could to form that connection and they have a really, really lovely, lovely bond now. They really do. Like, she loves my mom. Sure, my mom is a lunatic. Like, she'd be down on the floor with them and do that now, like, with her hair and stuff. She's just, she's fantastic. I'm really lucky with my family. And then tell me about Logan. Is he a mommy's boy? Is he daddy's boy? I would say he's daddy's boy. Literally, when Brian walks into the room, the two of them forget I exist. Um... Brian has, he, it's like he has an affinity with them because I suppose he understands in a way. Like he often would say to me, I was like that when I was a child, you know, or if we have days where I'm really, really upset because they're driving me mad, he'll, he'd be like, you know, you know, they can't help it. And then he gets the head taken off him because I'm like, who's spider are you on? Like, but no, they're, I, I would say they're definitely, Logan is definitely a daddy's boy anyway. Like he loves the rough and tumble and Brian will get him the floor and 
play with him, you know. Um, but he, like, he loves the cuddles as well. He comes to me for cuddles. He's definitely such a sensitive little soul and he loves, like, kissing and cuddling with me. But when it comes to play, definitely, like, Brian has endless patience with them. Like, my patience is done by 10 o'clock, but he has endless patience with them. As long as they're happy, Brian is happy, so... He's definitely much more of a calming influence than I am. Like, and there's nothing he wouldn't do for them. Like, go to the end of the earth from. Stupid question time. All right. Um, yeah. No so such thing. Is autism hereditary? That now is like a million dollar question. Some people would say it is. Other people say it isn't. Um, I think there has to be some little genetic factor. Personally, just because obviously my husband has autism and my kids have autism, but. I don't know the answer to that. I know too many families that have both parents with no autism and have children with autism. And I have, we'd say, five kids and only one of them has autism. So I don't know. Is it hereditary? I wouldn't say it's hereditary. I'd say it's genetic in some form. But I wouldn't say it's hereditary for every family at all. What about the support groups that are out there? Because your support groups, is it a support groups? Is there... Stupid question. Is there jealousy between you because, not between you, but as in your child, is, you know, is on a different level to another child and your child, oh my God, she's had to get in that dog and she's had to get in this yeah. and why am I, like, how is that? Is that a thing? Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a thing. And I, I joined and left many a Facebook group because of toxicity and it's definitely, and obviously I can only speak for myself, but there's definitely that thing in the, in the autism community of parents feeling or oh, like that, her child got a dog and we've been on the waiting list. Um, why did she get carers allowance and we didn't get it? How does she quali- qualify for domiciliary? But my child doesn't get it. And if you have a child that's anyway high-functioning, it's nearly impossible to get them the support they need. So you have parents whose children are in mainstream, really, really struggling, finding it so hard um, to get the, the support that they need. And then you might have Mary down the road whose son gets an SNA, even though it looks to them like he doesn't need it. So there's definitely, I wouldn't say it's competition. I wouldn't even say it's jealousy. It's just kind of, I think autism mothers especially are so fiercely protective and they just want the best of their child that sometimes it can fair when other kids are getting what they think they deserve. But this kind of thing of your child is more autistic than mine. Um, I've had that. Or you have it the other way of people that you think are kind of making their child out to be a lot worse than they are just so that they can get those services or those payments or those diagnosis for whatever reason I don't know um, there's definitely a lot of toxicity out there now there's there's um, Facebook groups especially there is a very good Facebook group I've been in it since day one um, it's very very well monitored there's a good few people that are, that are the admins on it and they monitor excellently like they get rid of anything like that any toxicity or any kind of negative things about it it's, it's a very good support group and if anyone asks me online that's the one that I'd send them to but I think you have to be at a certain mindset to even join one of those groups because I remember when Kirsty was only newly diagnosed asking someone, oh, do you have any idea, like, you know, my daughter's too, do you have any idea of how long it'll be before she starts talking? Because that's what you're desperate for. You're desperate for someone to give you hope and say, stick it out for a year and everything will be fine. But you get the answers, you get the real answers, like my son is 16, he's still not talking and you'd be really, really thrown and really devastated. So you have to be, I think you have to get your heads around it yourself before even joining those support groups because sometimes the the support you get is nearly just too honest. It's, it's just, you're not, you're not in the right space to take it in because mm-hmm. they will tell you, look, to be honest, there's a chance you mightn't talk or there's a, there's a chance he mightn't potty train until he's 10 or 11 and, 
you know, if you're a newly diagnosed mother, you're like, oh my God, like this is my two-year-old. How am I going to do this for the next eight years? And, you know, you want it nearly fixed there and then. So I would just say make sure you're in the right headspace before you join any of those groups because it can be very overwhelming and very daunting as well to he- to see and to hear the stories of other people, you know. I would say about Instagram, like just, I would say to people, be kind of be careful of who you reach out to. Do your research, like on the people that are, you know, that are pretending to be advocates for autism, because a lot of the times the numbers can put people off. They can see someone with fifty thousand followers or thirty thousand followers and think, oh, this person must must be fantastic. And then you'll ask for help and you won't get it. You know, you won't get a message back or you won't get something that you like. So just be be aware of kind of of disingenuous people because I think as autism parents we're desperate for help we're desperate for anything to work I mean I've had messages from from companies from everything now from mineral detox spray to vitamins to that'll clear their autism that'll cure their autism <sighs> that'll make them better the most ridiculous things that people try to flog you and you know it can be toxic that way like you can I think as well, like when your child is diagnosed, you're searching for a reason as to why they were diagnosed. Like, was it what I ate when I was pregnant? Did I do the wrong thing? Did I not do this enough? Did I do this too much? And there's there's a platform out there of people that we're trying to convince you that it's, it's this thing or the other thing. And we can get caught up in that. I mean, I had a lady there message me said they spent $1,200 on this. It was supposed to be this communication program to help her daughter speak. And... It was a complete and utter scam. Like, it was ridiculous. And the amount of speech and language therapy sessions that she would have got for that money. But as a parent, you do it because you don't ever want to look back and say, I didn't try hard enough. So I just think people need to be very careful of where they spend their money online as well when it comes to helping the kids with special needs because there's an awful lot of people that will take advantage. You just have to be very careful of things like that. For every 10 people that, that, don't do it. Like there'll be one that will, and I just, oh, I just feel so bad for those people. But you just have to be very, very careful of people out there online. That you know, there's a lot of disingenuous people out there. And um, I say, just be careful who you kind of put your trust and like do your research and look look into it a little bit further before you take up any of these, you know, these miracles that are going to cure your children. Because if there was one out there, like it, it would cost a lot more than twelve hundred dollars. You know, autism isn't something to be cured. It's not something to be, for parents to be made to feel guilty about that they did or didn't do to cause. It's a neurological disorder. Most most of the time they say it happens in the womb. So if you can get your head around that, that it's nobody's fault and it's, there's no one to blame, then I think you, you get to the stage where you can help, but you won't be feeling that desperate, that desperate that you can do anything and you get caught up in the wrong thing, you know. And is there the, uh, that blame factor? Oh, there's a huge blame factor. There's a huge guilt factor attached to the diagnosis as well. I felt it myself, um, especially with Logan. I felt like people were saying, surely she learned her lesson the first time. Like, And obviously, whatever she did the first time, she done the second time because this child is the same. And there's a huge, like, there's a huge blame factor for the parents themselves. Like, what did I do wrong? I mean, I was, I was very sick when I was pregnant. Was it all the vomiting? You know, it couldn't be because the lady next to me was thrown up for six months and her child is finer. You know, this lady was drinking and smoking and this lady wasn't. And you just, you torture yourself trying to find a reason and you never, ever find that reason. Like I've yet had someone say to me, this is what caused their autism. There's there's no explanation for it, you know. It just, it takes a long time to get your head around the fact that 
it's nothing that you did. You just, it's just something that happened. And I think when you can accept that, then you, you fall for a lot less upsetting things and a lot less scams. And you're not like, I can get messages now from people saying, oh, you vaccinated and what did you expect back? You cause autism. And I'm like, that's what you want to believe. That's fine. I'm not taking that on anymore because there, I know that there's parents out there that are like, all right, I, I won't vaccinate the next time now just in case. It's not that, like vaccines don't cause autism, you know, it's just it's just something that happens and that's the hardest thing to get your head around as a parent. But when you get to that stage, it, it does make things a little bit easier because you can focus on helping the child you have rather than grieving over the child that you, you think you destroyed because you did something wrong. And it is a grief, like it is a grieving process when they're diagnosed because the child that you thought you'd have is gone. And do you know that they're happy? Yeah, I know that they're happy with us. I know that we we do every single thing in our power to make them happy and there's nothing that they that we won't try and do to make them happy. Like I always say to Brian, you know, will we do this or will we do that? And I can kind of let my imagination run away me. I'm like, one day I want to build a sensory room. The next day I'm like, will we move up to the country so she'll have space? And he's like, he always says to me, Elaine, well, we're giving them a good life. We're giving them the best life we can. And they are. They are happy. They're happy when they're with us and they're happy when they're in school. And I don't think we can ask for any more than that. What does it do to couples with children on the spectrum? Like, is it, you have to be a really strong couple. Yeah. Yeah. You have to be really, really strong. And I've, I've honest to God, lost count of the amount of people that have told me that their marriages have ended, that their relationships have ended, that their partner can't handle it, that um, there's a lot of fathers that are in denial, not just fathers, but a majority in, in the relationship, it would be the fathers that are in denial. Like, there's nothing wrong with him. He's fine. Um, obviously, I think as mothers, and especially when you're at home with them all day, you could see more. So, yeah, it does. It's, it's very hard on a relationship. It really, really is. I mean, we've been tested as much as you possibly could be tested with the no sleep, with the meltdowns, with the not being able to do the things that normal families do. I mean... You see families going to the cinema, you see families going to soccer training, you see families invited to birthday parties and you know there's certain things that you just you just can't manage as a family. And um it can it can be very trying as a family, definitely. It can be very very trying as a couple and uh, if you don't have that support system where you're comfortable leaving them with everyone because it's not everyone that you can leave them with. And like when our family members come down they say, Oh leave the instructions there, there's like a refill pad page on the fridge. Mm-hmm. of what they need to do to avoid every situation and cover everything. So yeah, you have to be a very strong couple and you have to be able to just, I think, go to bed at night and say, okay, today was a shit day and I know I snapped at you but I didn't mean it, I was stressed out and I know you didn't mean it when you did this, you know. Um, we've we've had very, very trying times we had but we, we are a very strong couple and I'm delighted to say that like we're a team and we tag each other in and out, you know, mm-hmm. especially when Brian is in work, he'll come home and he just, he just like clocks in and I clock out and he knows that I need that, you know. And we give each other the breaks as well. We give each other lions, like we give each other time to just go up into the bedroom, lock the door and put on the headphones and ignore the absolute chaos that's going on downstairs because I know that the other person has it handled. Mm. So um, it is it is very tough for couples and we both want to counsel them separately so that you have that place to vent about that person as well, you know, that you can get it all out what you could never say to them. I think that any parent of children on the spectrum would benefit from counselling because you need to go to a place and just scream your head off and say all those awful, horrible things that you could never say to anyone because 
they know your children and they love you and they feel bad for you and they feel bad for the kids but you just need that space like I've gone to counselling so many times and it really does it really helps like and I'm very open on my Instagram I'll say it if we've had a shit day and I'll say how much I hate autism today but there's definitely still that stuff that you can't let out that only you have to just vent to a stranger that has no vested interest like I would say that if any couple is struggling with a, a diagnosis to definitely look into counselling because you need that space to just say how unfair it is and how shit it is and how fed up you are and come home then and deal with it you know I want Definitely. to read something out to you. So when um, I tagged you earlier on, um, when I tagged you in a post on in, on my own Insta, um, I got a message to say of someone who I used to work with, but is following you because of her journey okay. and with you. So she said, Elaine is brilliant, says it as it is and shows real life of living with a child on the spectrum. Um, so is that why you started your Instagram page for... Uh, messages like that and not not like for the glory of the message as in yeah, for yeah, yeah. the support yeah. of that um, I started on Facebook actually because when Christy was diagnosed I did what every mother would do I went online and I went down to the support groups and I asked all the questions and I just found that I couldn't get any comfort from anywhere I couldn't get any straight answers like the professionals like speech language therapists as fantastic as they are and the psychologists and they see your child for an hour and they tell you, do this, this, and this. And I found that I had a friend of mine from school whose daughter was on the spectrum, and she was the only other person that I knew um, with a child with autism. And her younger sister, my younger sister, are still best friends to this day. So she said to me, would you not ring her and ask her, you know? And I was saying, oh, I don't know, am I ready to kind of hear the truth about it? But I did, I rang her and I spoke to her, and it was the first conversation I had with someone that I just... I felt like I got all the answers I needed. I got all the information I needed. Like she told me about all the payments we were entitled to and where to go and what to do. And I just said to my husband, I'd, I'd love to have a platform where I could do that for other people. Like for someone who's sitting at home at the kitchen table, heartbroken after getting this, this diagnosis and not knowing where to go. I was lucky that I had that person to reach out to. Um, but I just thought like there's loads of people that don't. And I'm, I'm a very open and kind of social person. I like to have that conversation back and forth with people and learn from them and give advice. So I started on Facebook just blogging about what it was like to have a daughter with autism because obviously we were learning as we went along as well. And as the page grew on Facebook, I was kind of like back getting those messages from people saying, you know, my daughter was diagnosed. Do you know if I can do this or do you have any idea what to do with this? And I started going places and letting people know whether they were autism friendly or not or if we found a toy that really helped her, I would talk about that on the page. And it just grew from there, became like a little bit of a community. And then I went to Snapchat and Instagram. I prefer Instagram now because it is so literally so instant. Like you can put up a story and people can react and talk back to you straight away. And it's just, it's, it's grown so much. It's like therapy for me. Like when I was growing up, I either wanted to be a psychologist or a writer. And my mom is always saying to me, you're doing a bit of both because mm -hmm. you're like counselling people and you're writing. Mm -hmm. And I just find it's my my outlet. It's my therapy. And from day one, I talked about the bad stuff. I, I'm sure I alienated followers that didn't want to know about the horrors of potty training and when they're smearing everywhere and the horrors of being awake at night and stuff. But I was deadly honest about it. And then I just found a community that wanted to hear those things and wanted to be able to go somewhere to find out how they go about filling out this form and how they go about doing this and how they go about doing that. So it kind of grew from there. But now it's definitely, it's therapy for me as well. It really is. Like, I, as I said, I went to a counsellor and I had just started the blog. 
And he said to me, you couldn't be doing anything better for your head than writing down what you're thinking. So it's just, it's been like a lifesaver for me. It's just a way to get it out there and to get feedback from people. And I've learned from the people that follow me, like I've got advice and recommendations from them. And I'm I'm really proud of it, like, because it's not an easy thing to do. You know, there's a certain little little kind of community where they you get the backlash and they think that you're, you know, exploiting your child or that you shouldn't be invading their privacy by talking about them online. But I know how it felt. Like, I've never forgotten how it felt to be sitting at the kitchen table, pregnant, with a diagnosis and having a child in front of me. Like, I remember Brian saying to me, are we, like, can we let her watch the telly now? Like, should we not be letting her watch the telly? And I was like, she's still the same child and we don't know what to do with her now. You know, when in the mm. space of the day, we're like, we're not rearing a different child. We've actually, and I always say this to parents when they say their kids have been diagnosed and they don't know what to do. And I'm like, you have been rearing a child with autism for the last two years. You just didn't know it. You mm. know, you've been doing it all along. It's like worrying about learning to drive when you can already drive. You just have to kind of steer in a different direction. So I, I just, I love having it. I love having the platform. I love having the feedback and I love having the voice to just say how it is because I, I don't believe in sugarcoating autism at all. I believe in giving people the facts and if they're prepared, then they can, they can do better and they can do better for their kids, you know? You said there earlier on, you said that like when you have, when you get, Brian knows when you need to just walk away. Like what is your let out? Like what is you, like when you're having a sad day? How do you pick yourself up? Um, so I would go, as I said, up to the bedroom, lock myself in with my headphones, um, go for a walk, meet my family. Over the lockdown, I completely hit rock bottom. Like I got to a stage where I just couldn't cope. Like he was going to work every day because they were testing a vaccine in his job. So he was in work every single day. The kids were off school for months at a time. Logan was regressing. Every day, his toileting went out the window. Everything just went backwards for him. And I I remember there was one night where he was pulling at me for something and I was trying to do something for her and I just screamed, like like a guttural scream. Like it wasn't even words. It was just like a scream and went into the bathroom and I'd say I cried for about two hours and he just kept them away from the bathroom. I came out and he said, go up to bed. And I went up to bed and he brought me up a big, huge glass of pink gin, <sighs> uh, two paracetamol. And when he came up to bed, he, I was still awake, but I was still crying because I just, I, I just hit my limit. And like that, he's just like, take all the time you need. I fell asleep that night crying and I was really, really down. But I know people always say, and I think it, it puts pressure on mothers, they know you're the glue. And like, if you fall apart, everything falls apart. And I'm like, but I'm human as well. And I do fall apart. And I, I have to be able to fall apart because you can't do it all. And my mom always says, Truly, you can't fall apart at the same time. So that's when he steps in that way and he just knows that I need to break or he'll, he'll say to me, just go on away. He'll give me a hundred euro and he'll like, go away and just spend it in pennies, you know. He just, he knows when I need to break because I don't get there often. But when I get there, I'm like, I, if I don't get out of this house, I kill someone. Because it does, it gets so intense. And it gets so hard, it gets to the point where not even the, the blog will save me. You know, I don't even have the strength to write a post. I literally will pop it up on Instagram and say, guys, I need a break. I'll be back in a few days. And I just take that time. But he he has always, like, he's always been there to step in when I need it, even when he's not been the greatest. Because obviously he's gone through it too. And I always say he's, he is the only person in the whole world that knows exactly how I feel because nobody else could. Like our parents, our families, they try 
and like my friends that will be close to me and they see it every day but they don't live it like he's the only other person that feels it because they're his kids as well so he's very good at giving me a break um, thank God because I think I would have cracked long ago if I was doing it on my own it's, just, it's, it's too hard it's too intense and like that I don't have days where I'm angry or I'm pissed off I have days where I get sad and I get really sad like I get upset about what they go through what we go through what we've lost what the future is going to be like it kind of runs away with me and I just get heartbroken all over again you know and um, so those are the times that he's like I said he brings on the alcohol and the painkillers and the chocolate and he's like one way up there now and just ignore him I'll put him to bed and sometimes even something like that just I put him to bed just putting him to bed is a big ordeal in this house you have to do the same routine you have to settle him down to make her toast and cut it up a certain way he has to be lying down the couch with a certain blanket and even though we do it every night sometimes because I'm I'm not a person that thrives on routine I like things different you know I can cope so I'm like if I have to do the routine one more night I'm going to scream Whereas that suits him, he likes that. He likes to know what they're doing, when they're doing it, and knows that it'll work. So we work that way. You know, I'm kind of a bit out there, and he's kind of happy in the little bubble with them sometimes, you know. So in in a sense, you're very lucky that you have each other. I'm very lucky. I'm very, very lucky. He's brilliant. He really, really is. He's a fantastic dad. A really, really amazing husband. Like, I'm always saying this to people, he just, just me and the kids like that's his whole world you know he loves his family and he loves his friends but if it was only me him and Percy Logan and Milo he'd be quite happy as well you know we're very lucky I don't think many people can say that especially in our situation like there's a lot of men that would have just walked off and said I can't do this you know especially dealing with his own his own autism but he's he is fantastic there's a lot of credit to him and he works very hard so that I can stay at home and what's his release? Um, it used to be golf, but then he had back surgery, so he doesn't play golf as much anymore. But I, as I said on his um on his post about his diagnosis, Brian is a sports fanatic. Like literally, if a ball rolled across the street, he'd watch it. He's just <laughs> sports fanatic. So he loves American football. He loves golf. He loves Celtic. Sports would be, I'd say, and he kind of arms himself with knowledge as well. So he'll read up about the players. He kind of immerses himself in that culture. Like he likes to kind of, he likes to kind of build up the knowledge about the things that he's interested in. And his, his, actually his two, his three, two of his three best friends from college are still in the same lab that he works with. So he gets right. to see them as well. Um, but yeah, when he needs a break, it's kind of like peace and quiet, you know. Yeah. He goes to the gym. He goes to the gym as well. He likes going to the gym in the morning and he loves the best. Oh, does he? And he loves the, and he loves some pints. <laughs> the, the pub out the back he built the pub out the back when the the lockdown came in because he was like Sexana we need to be able to have a drink yeah. so yeah he loves the pints as well Have you lost friends over the years? Have you seen people step away from you or have you still got a circle? No I've definitely lost friends Um, I've lost friends not in a kind of a bad way as in like an argument and we stopped talking but I, I've seen people kind of step away because I felt and I think they felt like we couldn't relate to each other anymore. I mean, it's very hard when you have small kids the same, like when, when your friends have small kids the same age as your kids. Because when the kids are small, it's very, very obvious. Like, I remember my, my sister's friend called here with her, da- with her daughter and she was, I think she was about four months younger than Logan and he was so small. And she was pointing and she was clapping handies and she was singing and, oh, I, I, as much as I love that girl and I love her daughter, I thought she'd never leave because my heart was just 
shattered, looking at the difference between her daughter and Logan. I She left and I literally crumbled. I cried for days after it. I just thought, like, it's so unfair. So I know that I've had friends that have felt that way, like that they can't complain about their kids. You know, they can't give out that their child never shut it up yesterday for three hours because they're sitting there going, Elaine, would you have anything for her time to be able to talk? Um, and like one of my best friends, my very best friend, has three kids and none of them are on the spectrum. And she would say to me, you know, I feel guilty that I can't relate to you in that way. All I can do is listen. But I think it's very important to have both. Like I have some of my best friends are autism moms and it's brilliant to be able to ring them and say, she was up again all night or he's doing this or that. And, she, and, and they understand, they get it because they have children on the spectrum. But then I have friends that are really close to me that I enjoy meeting because I, it's like I can forget about autism and we don't, it doesn't have to be my whole entire world, you know. I like the fact that I have kids, I have friends that kind of remind me of who I was before I was a mom because it's, we don't talk about them and it's not that they don't love my children, they do. But I think they know that I kind of enjoy that break mm-hmm. because my whole world is immersed in autism at home. So I've lost friends, but the ones that stuck around I think they kind of made it clear that if I ever want to talk about it, I can. But if I don't, that's okay too. Because sometimes you do need an escape from it. And even us autism moms, when we, when we meet, sometimes we're like, can we just not talk about autism for a half an hour, even though we all live and breathe it? Um, it is hard when you lose friends, especially because some people lose them because the, the friends don't know how to act around them anymore. And like that, they'd be, you know, afraid to offend you if they couldn't invite you to a birthday party, even though they know that your child is not able to go. But sometimes they're like, well, you could have invited me and I would have said no. You know, there's all those yeah. tiny, tiny things that get in the way. Or if you if they say the wrong term and you get upset, if you've had a particularly few bad days and you're like, you know, that it's hard. And I mean, I think as an autism parent, well, we have to be aware that because we live it, other people don't. And, you know, they, they can't understand it no matter how much they try. They just, they will never understand. And you have to kind of cut people some slack as well because they might say something that they really don't mean to offend you. It's just we're hypersensitive to that topic, you know? And there's times where I've had to swallow hard when I see my friend's babies developing and my kids still aren't doing half the stuff. I have to be happy for them and not begrudge them because they're doing what babies are supposed to. And I wouldn't wish my life on them. Mm-hmm. But that's hard too, and that takes a lot of practice. Like it takes a lot of tears, and it takes a lot of. It's so unfair. Why was it my child? You know, but you do get there from the people that want to stick around. You know, because that's what I was thinking at the very top of this. You said that um, Kirsty and your nephew there's only three months in between them. So what has that been like watching him develop? Mm-hmm. Um, compared to do they go out of their way like to to not not to try not to upset you, but. Do, would, would they hide milestones from their children on you? Or have you had that conversation where you're saying, look, don't be hiding stuff from me? Um, not with my sister, because I think because it's my nephew, I was just thrilled that he was, you know, that he was developing as he should be and that there wasn't anything wrong. Because aside from your own kids, like your nieces and nephews are the next best thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had that conversation with my friends, especially with her, her youngest. Like he'd do something and I might see it online. I'd be like, oh, you never told me he was doing that. And she'd, well, I didn't want to say it and rub it in. I'm like, you're not rubbing it in. Like he's doing what he's meant to be doing. And I don't want ever you to ever pick up the phone to me and say, I was at the public health nurse and she said that he's not doing this. Like, I don't want that for you. I would rather get that phone call of you saying he picked up his own spoon or he said dad or he said mama, you know. So we've kind of passed that point now and. I can I can celebrate with her and she can ring me, you know, if, if he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But 
that doesn't, that doesn't come easy. I won't lie. It doesn't. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely been times where I've looked at my friend's kids and be like, oh my God, like it's so unfair. Do you have anything else for my kids to be doing that? And I remember my nephew was singing and that killed me because I'd never heard Kirsty singing, but I still didn't begrudge him that. It's just, I would have loved she to do it too, you know, um, as well instead of instead, I suppose, you know. Um, but it does, it takes, it takes time and I have a lot of people message me and say, you know, my friend has a two-year-old and I can't stand being around, it's too hard. Like with my daughter's four and she's still not doing what this two-year-old is doing and I, I get it, I totally get it, I've been there and it's heartbreaking. Like, I mean, we have friends there that are, you know, only two months apart with, her, with Logan and their daughter and seeing her come on so quick and do everything that she was supposed to be doing it was devastating it's like a knife in the heart you know because it, it becomes so obvious like how far behind your kids are but as I said you just you have to have to remember like that, that that's just what babies are supposed to do and it, it just, it, it's not going to change it you know you just have to be able to swallow down and say I'm happy for them even if you're you're feeling kind of sad and it's okay to say that like I would always say it's okay to say it's not fair you know it's mm-hmm. not fair that your child can do this and mine but it's not their fault, you know, it's not anyone's fault, really. What is the biggest thing that she's going to miss out on that affects you the most? Um, for Kirsty, it would be, I think, the kind of girly, girly things. Like if I'm putting on makeup, you know, she's not interested. She hates having her hair done. She has no interest in clothes. Just the things that I thought I'd do with my daughter, you know, like when she's older now going shopping and stuff. Um, Stupid things like that, like going to the cinema and watching Disney movies and just like things that you kind of envision when you have a little girl, you know, we, we haven't had any of that. Like, you know, Christmas is very hard. They don't, we don't have Santa. I mean, obviously Santa comes, but they don't understand, you know, and that can be very, very lonesome as well because I like Christmas morning, you know, no matter what, they'll kind of, they'll go for she go for a pack of toothbrushes or he mm. go for something that's been there all along, you know, and those things can kind of break your heart. Um, I I feel like that she's going to miss out on the, you know, the, the kind of teenager things with friends, like going to town shopping and stuff. And it'll always be me that she'll be with. Like she'll never, she'll never do those things like as a teenager, like, you know, those are the things that kill me. And I try to just hold on to a tiny little bit of hope that, you know, maybe she'll find you know, other children, even if they're as severe as she is, that she could do it with, even if me and the other parents were there as well. But I don't know, it's just, it's hard to think of all the things that she's going to miss out on, you know. I mean, that's, I don't even get me started on when she's an adult and like getting married and having kids and stuff because I'd be in a spiral for days. But I just think now because she's getting older, she's nine, I mean, she doesn't understand birthdays. You know, she doesn't know what her birthday is. Like she was nine in September and we'd have the balloons and we'd sing happy birthday but she's like you know it's just another day mm-hmm. that's the hard thing like the, at her communion I mean we just had her communion and she didn't have a clue you know she was like get the stress off me like where's my pyjamas and we got through the communion day and she did very well but I was very upset the day before I kind of got all my tears out the day before because it wasn't the communion that I thought it would be and it's not even the religious aspect as I mentioned I'm not religious at all but just that that day, like when you, especially when you've only one girl, you know, you'd be thinking of the christening, the communion, the wedding. Um, it's sad, you know, there are definitely things that you miss out on. And there's a whole community out there online that would be like, you should accept the child you have. And how do you think that would make her feel? You're saying that she's less. And I'm like, I'm not saying she's less, but I 
I'm a human and I'm entitled to feel like I'm missing out on these things because I am. It doesn't mean that I don't love her. And there's a huge, huge problem with that online. That's, that's one of the reasons why I'm so open online is because there's this shame attached to saying anything bad about their children. Like, how could she love her child if she's saying that about their autism? I can say that very easily, you know. It doesn't mean that I don't love them. I, it doesn't mean that I don't, I wouldn't do anything for them. But I'm still a human, you know. I'm, I'm not just a mother. I'm still a human. And it, it, it's bloody hard, like, you know, it is. And I think that you should be able to say that about parenting without being attacked for not loving your children, you know. It's, it's crazy. Like, everything we do, we do for them. It's just, there's, like, I've been attacked. And it's mostly, actually, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of Americans that I get abuse from because I, I think obviously Irish people are different but you know there's a kind of community out there that are like how can you possibly say that about her you know she can't help the way she is and I'm like I'm not saying she can't help it I'm not saying he can't help it but I can say that it's shit without feeling guilty you know Yeah. and it takes it takes a while to get to that stage because you have to be prepared for people to be like but you wouldn't change of the world and you should love them how they are. And I'm like, I do love them, but I would change that about them if I could. I would make their life easier if I could. Of course you would. And Logan? I would love if Logan found some way to communicate with us using words because I find that the older he's getting, he's he's not great with pecs and um, he's getting very frustrated. He's getting more frustrated because he can't get his needs met. You know I mean? I would imagine it's like having someone with their hand over your mouth and you just can't get out what you want to say, what you want to do. And if he needs something like, if, when I was saying that earlier about the swimming, like if Kirsty is stressed out or she's having a bad day, she goes to the trampoline, she goes to the swing, she go get a tube for it. Like she has found the kind of way to regulate herself. She'll go up to her bed, whereas he's not there yet. So he'll stand there and scream or he'll come over and he'll try and headbutt you out of nowhere like he, he just takes his frustration out there and then so I my hope for him for the future would be to just find some way of getting his knees met that doesn't involve hurting himself or hurting others because you can't help but get angry at him then and it's just this whole phase then of like we're not we're not doing the best we can because he's so stressed out but it's very hard to be attacked by your child every day and not feel a little bit of resentment for that as well because nobody wants that either and I know he can help us but that doesn't make it any easier for us so I just, I just hope for him that he can, you know, find some way to be happier. Because like Kirsty is on a very even keel, you know, most of the time she just kind of plows along and she has her bad days and she has very good days. But most of the time she's in the middle, whereas Logan is literally like very, very happy or very, very angry and upset. There's no middle, you know, he's very, very up and down. And that's what we're trying to, trying to, we're trying to find that middle ground for him, you know, where, where he involves with calm you now and maybe we'll have to go down the road of medication to kind of take the edge off him I don't know and I would have no problem doing that I have no problem with that if that's what he needs but it's just it's very hard to find that balance when he can't tell you what's going on so I think last year was kind of a very low point because I realised that we're dealing with mental health issues with him as well as his autism it's not just the autism and DID there's definitely some kind of mental health there as well and that's going to be very hard to manage as he gets older so it's I, I feel like as well it's a constant battle you know there's always something new that comes up like I'm, for, for a long time it was like how are we going to potty train them and we got we crossed that herd and we finally got there and now I'm worried about her you know hormonal changes and him getting older and there's just there's always something to do and I think that's why we're always so exhausted and especially these parents are exhausted they're falling down because there's very little help out there you know And who do you worry about more? Do you worry about Logan more than if that's the case or? 
I worry about Logan because I worry about, like, I find it hard to deal with him when I was mother. I love him more than anyone else in the world. So I worry about people being cruel to him because they don't have the same tolerance that I have or they don't have the same, you know, they don't love him as much as I do that they can take that kind of behaviour from him. I don't want people to get angry with him or not be able to handle that side of him because he's struggling with it. Um, I worry about that side for him and I worry about him because he hurts himself a lot and he's getting bigger and stronger, you know. We're very lucky that we don't have those problems with Kirsty, but um, I worry about that and his pain tolerance as well. I mean, he could he could have bruises on his legs and he wouldn't even complain about it. He fell there two weeks ago and we didn't even know until we saw the blood and he literally had like a, an open gas on his skull and he, you know, he was barely, he barely cried. Like, I think if we hadn't seen the blood, we wouldn't have even known he fell. And I'd be worried about like, you know, he heard the stories of, oh, I brought him to the hospital because he, he wasn't himself but he'd a broken arm. We, they never knew because they can't communicate that. Mm-hmm. That really scares me. Like, their pain tolerance is unbelievable and that frightens me I mean I remember a lady telling me that her daughter was kind of thrown down for one or two days and she had, she had no temperature she just wasn't herself she said I eventually brought her to the doctor and when they checked when she checked her throat she had a massive huge abscess on the back of the tooth and no way to tell her mom that it was her tooth that was at her you know those things I just I find that so hard I, I would hope that it, even if they had the language to say I'm sore, I'm tired, I'm hurt, you know, just to explain what's going on with them. We could we could live without everything else. You just you just want them to be able to communicate what they need because when you're playing the guessing game, it's very hard. It really is. So on that note, I just want to quit you to just give me out your Instagram so that the followers can, where, where can they find you? Yeah, so you'll find us on Instagram under Life Upside Down and the same on Facebook. The blog is called Life Upside Down on Facebook as well. Elaine, thanks so much. You're very good. I know. Thanks for having me. You're probably going to be wrecked. I do be wrecked after doing them. So I can only imagine how you're going to be now and probably what you have ahead of you tonight, That whether you get the kids to bed or whether Brian's done that yeah. for you. I can hear I can hear quiet anyway. So I think he might be into the settling day routine anyway. There might even be one of them asleep. You never know. I might be lucky. I might just stay here for another half an hour and stay on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just, I'll just talk to myself after you hang up and uh, see how I get on. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for everything. Bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.